James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher this morning, that you would convict us of sin, that you would grant us the gift of repentance, and that we could go from this place renewed, refreshed, and encouraged to live for you. We give you thanks for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The average person will spend a fifth of their life talking. It's about 16,000 words a day. If you were to produce books with your words, it would come out to 132 books of 200 pages every year. We speak a lot. Words of truth. Words of love, words of anger, words of jealousy. In the ancient book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, we read a lot about our speech or our tongues or our words. We read things like this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How about this one? You know this one. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. James has already mentioned the importance of our speech. You recall James chapter 1, verse 19, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now he turns his full attention to addressing the tongue an organ that is capable of great evil, but, but also of much good. Um, as you live your life, we uh, have times, don't we, where we put our foot in our mouths? Maybe some of us more than others, or we get in trouble because of our speech, because of our words. Uh, one of my first memories of this happening was in the second grade. In the second grade, it was a Christmas time and a very festive time in school, and I had the idea to use my words, and my words to my classmates uh, were this, that there is no such thing as Santa Claus. Uh, 
And uh, I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint some of you, obviously, here. You're just learning. But I said, there's no such thing as Santa Claus. And they were all, yes, there is. How do all the presents come under the tree? Where do they come from? I said, well, do this. T- test, test, uh, test me this way. Will you uh, go home and uh, this whole Christmas time, don't tell your parents what you want for Christmas and see if Santa brings it to you. I got in trouble uh, that day at school and uh, had a note sent home. But that was one of the very few times that my parents sided with me. That was okay. I was telling the truth that time. Uh, so anyway, um, are there any kids in here? They dismissed for children's church yet. Sorry. <laughs> so your tongue is a powerful thing. Even as a, a second grader, I realized that, that I could have influence. I could have impact on my classmates by the words which I spoke. And I happened to be speaking the truth, maybe in a wrong way, not speaking the truth in love, but just think if you use your words to not speak the truth, to influence in a way that is evil, and that's what we're going to see here in a minute. So let's start here, point number one, words are powerful. Words are powerful. You don't have to look very hard in our day and age to find a story about a young person, whether it's junior high or high school or Uh, early 20s of a person who's been bullied, a a person who's been belittled, a person who feels like they're at their wit's end because of the degradation that they've received from others, the words that hurt that they would commit suicide. Let me just relay one of these stories to you from uh, this past December. Brandy Vela from Texas. And here's the story. Brandy's sister, Jackie, says the teen had always been bullied for her weight. But the cyberbullying ramped up in April. People would make up face, fake Facebook accounts and they would message her and she wouldn't respond, but they would still keep coming at her. They would say really, really mean things like, why are you still here? They would call her fat and ugly. She was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The only thing that people could pick on her was for her weight. Jackie says her sister changed her phone number and reported the bullying to the police, but the police said they couldn't do anything because no physical alteration, altercation had happened, so they couldn't do anything yet. Jackie knew that something was wrong when she got a text from her sister, Brandy, saying, I love you so much. Please remember that, and I'm sorry for everything. Worried, she called her parents and grandparents, and they rushed home. When they got home, they found Brandy in her room, holding a gun to her chest. The family pleaded with the teen not to pull the trigger, but Brandy had made up her mind. Tragic. And what do we do? What saying do we teach our kids to help them deal with words? We say, we say things like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... It's not true. The ancient rabbis, the teachers of the law, they they called the tongue an arrow. You could kill somebody with a sword in close proximity. An arrow could be used to kill somebody in close proximity, but it also could kill somebody from a great distance. That was the tongue. So whether you're facing someone in a personal relationship, those words can be killing and damaging. They're powerful, but they also can be powerful from afar. Whether it's social media, whether it's uh, she said something to somebody else who said something to somebody else, and now it's getting back to you, the words still pierce and hurt. 
Why is the tongue so powerful? Here we see James, and he starts out and he says this, in referring to the power of the tongue, really, that not many of you should become teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Words can influence. That's why they're so powerful. Words can influence the lives of the listener. James says, be careful pursuing the teaching position, specifically in the church. Being a teacher in the church can be appealing, can't it, in some ways? Maybe some of you have a fear of public speaking, but even if it's teaching in the classroom or, or teaching in a, in a big gathering like this, it can be appealing because people are listening to your words. They're, they're looking to you. They even, they even ask of your opinion, and, and, and that can be appealing. I remember uh, one family, uh, an elderly man was in the hospital. He was dying. We didn't know it at the time, but uh, he was uh, failing. And the doctor came in with uh, his, his wife, and his kids were also in the room. The doctor was talking about next steps, possible next steps. And he, he was talking about what, what he would suggest. And the kids uh, weighed in, told their mom, I think we should transfer to another hospital. And they were going over these different details. And this conversation was happening, and then they stopped. And, and the, the woman, the wife, uh, turned to me and said, What do you think, Pastor? What an... Uh, uh, an honor to have influence in that way in the lives of people but but be careful with that influence comes a great responsibility a responsibility that you will have to answer to God for your words and for your influence it's a heavy burden words are powerful because of the effect that they have on the hearts and minds of the listeners. You can look to the great movements of history and you see this to be true. Just in the last century, Adolf Hitler in World War II with great rhetoric spoke of restoring the nation of Germany. And in his words and in his deception and in his language came about the killing of six million Jews. The words were well designed. Designed to desensitize the listener to the violence and the vulgarity of the movement. What about today? Think about how our culture uses words. That baby growing inside the womb is not a baby. It's an it. It's an it. It's a, a mass of cells. It's a, a lump of tissue. It's the woman's body. And once you desensitize that, language is powerful. Words matter. Once you speak like that, then it, it doesn't matter that you get rid of that thing. It's an it. Even though the baby has brain waves, even though the baby heart beats, even though the baby reacts to pain, Words have influence. James goes on and he gives us a, a couple different illustrations. First, he gives us uh, the illustration of a horse and a horse's bit. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A bit goes into the horse's mouth, and then you can control the horse. I remember uh, as, a, as a young kid going to a farm, and at the farm there was horses there, and big, powerful horses. Horses are big and, and powerful, and especially when you're a little kid, it, they're kind of scary. And, and I remember my sister, my oldest sister, getting uh, on that horse, and uh, the horse bucked her off. And she nailed the ground, and uh, it, was, it was dangerous and powerful. But then five minutes later, the kids that own the horses are jumping bareback on the horse, grabbing uh, the ropes, the reins that go into the bit, and taking off with this powerful being. A 50-pound kid riding this beast all over the field. Same thing with the tongue. If we can control our tongue, we control our bodies, we control our lives, we control the direction that we are going. He also then mentions a ship. Whether the ship is small or large, relatively, in relative terms, the rudder is much smaller. And by that rudder, a, a ship is steered, so too our lives by our tongues. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. You remember those uh, forest uh, fire commercials and uh, talking about not throwing your cigarettes into the, the forest and Forest fires, and who's the name of that guy that prevents forest fires? Yes, and, and so you're not to do that. Why? Because that little spark, that little flame can, can burn down the whole forest. Our tongues are the same way. They're powerful. They have influence, and they can set a fire. And you see that James says our fire, the fire of our tongues are lit by hell. Our oh, words matter. Next, he goes on to, to show us this, and this is our second point today, that words reveal the progress of our faith. Words reveal the progress of our faith. Because with our tongue, we bless the Lord, and with it, we curse people who are made in the Lord's likeness. It doesn't make any sense. We bless the Lord, we praise Him, we tear down, we curse those who are made in His image. Curses should not come from the mouth of a believer. James used a couple different illustrations. He uses the illustration of a spring. Can a spring produce both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither a salt pond yield fresh water. He uses these illustrations of a spring and a tree to say this, that curses should not come from the mouths of a believer. And some of you watching that video, you've been there, haven't you? Where we speak the truth. I as a pastor have been there. 
And to my shame, even within my own home, would not bless my family. And so let's, let's examine ourselves now. Let me give you top five evidences that you are not in control of your tongue. And ask that the Lord would bring conviction and grant repentance. Number one, you consistently hurt those around you. Your words are powerful. They do damage. Recently, a young lady uh, came to me at our church and talked about her father, who does not go here, but her father who degrades her and belittles her, and he claims to be a Christian, and he loves Jesus, and he's, he's part of the leadership of the church, and yet he, every moment that he has in her mind, in her estimation, she is being torn down by his words, and she doesn't know what to do. She feels like she's worthless, and her life doesn't matter. Top five evidence is you're not in control of your tongue. You are consistently hurting those around you. Dads, are you hurting your children with your words? Husbands, are you degrading your wife and nothing's ever good enough? And you're hurting with your words? Number two is this, nothing is ever good enough. So you complain like the Israelites of old who were rescued from slavery in Egypt and on their way to the promised land, but at every turn, seemingly, they would be murmuring against God. How could you bring us out here to die in the desert? We don't have any food to eat. We had food to eat in Egypt, but, uh, but now we got nothing, and we got this manna, this food from heaven. We're sick of this manna. We've had this manna every day now for a few weeks. When are you going to give us something different than complain and complain and complain and murmur? That nothing is good enough. Forgetting God's provision, God's blessing, God who had brought them out of slavery, miraculously led them through the Red Sea that led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a, a pillar of fire in the night that God who would provide for them and save them and yet they would complain and complain and God would judge them, they complain, God would judge them, they would complain. In Numbers 21, they were complaining the same thing. We're sick of this manna, and God sent fiery serpents into the camp to bite the people. And after many of them were killed, and Moses pled for the people, God relented, and he said to Moses to put a, a, a serpent on a, on a stake and set the stake in the ground before the people. Whoever looks up at that serpent will be healed, and the disease was stopped. Nothing is ever good enough. Number three, your words are marked by bitterness. By bitterness. Do you know that your tongue never loses its power? Do you know that strong men will get weak? Do you know that beautiful women um, will not be as beautiful? That was the wrong way to say that one. That's a, that a bad illustration. Sorry. Beauty fades. But do you know that the tongue doesn't go quiet? 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we read that very thing. Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, says that there's coming a day where your body will fail you, where the, the sinful desires, the desires that you have will, will not even be desires anymore as you go, uh, grow older, whether that's sexual desires, whether that's the desire to, uh, to succeed and, or to master things, or the, the desire to go out and accomplish things. There's coming a day as you age that your flesh will fail you, but your tongue will retain its strength and it might even grow sharper and stronger, especially if, it's, if you're locked in bitterness in your heart. That nothing is good enough, and I am bitter about it. And some of you older ones here that can have such an impact on younger people, your impact is robbed because of your bitterness, and it comes out in your tongue. On that note... A man came up to me just this morning, and I believe it was God-ordained, and he had been uh, speaking to me and complaining to me about some things last week, and he came up to me and he asked me for forgiveness today, this morning. I said, there's a man who's seeking to control his tongue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? Number four. You always turn the conversation away from you and on to others when it's about something convicting. You know what I'm talking about? You're talking about doing something wrong and, and it's starting the conversation starting to come to you, but you turn it back on the other person. You never want to talk about you when it's something that you have to change, that you have to deal with. Now the flip side of this, it's not in your notes, but I'm going to add this. The flip side to the same coin is this the conversation is always about you and it's never about others when it's just normal conversation so when it's convicting conversation when it's how, how can I change how can I be better how can I do things differently you're always directing that elsewhere somebody else's problem it's somebody else's fault it's never on you but when it's normal conversation then it's all about you and it's not about them five evidences that you're not in control of your tongue number five you haven't blessed and encouraged someone in a long time why would you? Your life is about you. You've forgotten the call of Christ. That your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. When those na the nation of Israel complained and the ser serpent was lifted up, Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so I must be lifted up. So that we who are sinners, we would look on Christ, the sinless, and be saved. We would be healed. We would be restored. We could have a right tongue as we are saved by Jesus. And that comes to our third point. Words confirm the position of your heart. These are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A man speaks from the abundance of his heart. The words that you speak, they come from what's inside you. This is the crux of the issue, beloved. Our tongues will never be tamed by just trying harder. Our words will never be pure by memorizing a list of rules. No, our mouths will only be made right when our heart is changed. That's the message of the scriptures. That's what Jesus taught. Until we have new hearts, 
we can't have new tongues. And even after we get new hearts, the tongue is still going to be a problem, as we see in James. He's writing to the brothers, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are still dealing with the tongue. But until we have new hearts, we will not have new tongues. Until we base our identity in Christ, we will never gain control of the words which we speak that matter so much. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are in Christ... Be reminded today of your identity. You are a new creation. The sin that would so easily entangle you has no power any longer under the cross of Christ. You've been forgiven and you've been set free to live according to the law of liberty. All this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A Christian's identity is not to be found in anyone else or in anything else other than in Christ. Not in our vocation, what we do. Not in our wealth, what we have. Not in our lack, what we, uh, what we don't have not in our spouse, not in our children. All of these things will fail and fade away. The one thing that does not is Jesus Christ, and our identity is in him. We are a new creation. So our love and our devotion is for him. Our mission is his mission, that others would be reconciled to him as we ourselves are. And then our speech reflects this great truth. So I pray today that God would grant us repentance for misusing the tongue, that we would be pushed to the cross to find our identity in Christ, and as his new creation, we would speak our Father's language.